too bad Christianity is so boring. <laughs> yeah, something good. I'm going to make a bunch of Baptocostals out of you people. Lord willing. Amen. Kathy, you got all riled up over there. Just What's that? That's normal. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Glad to see you today on this. Uh, it's going to be a nice day, I think. No? Well, forget I said anything. Two kinds of people in the world, reactive people and proactive people, right? So, oh, it's such bad weather. I'm going to have a rotten day today. No, I'm just making a little joke. Um, I have some things to share this morning, but I want to begin by doing just a little bit of follow-up on where we're at as a congregation. I've done several weeks on the state of the church, and, uh, but I just want to make sure I'm, I'm kind of done on that. One is, bunches of us are grabbing Bibles at the last minute, this go-through-the-Bible, daily Bible. Uh, there's big print ones. Anybody got, who's got, I know someone's got one. Hold it up if you got it in the room. Some of you have it in the room. There it is. Look at the size of that thing. Now, that's a Bible. I mean, if you want to look spiritual, you need one of those. And, uh, and what I have found is um, I, even, even with the big print, I still can't read it without glasses, so I'll just stick with, the, stick with what I have. But anyway, that's a great thing. We're in it. I promised that I would do a little discussion as we move along because if you're up on your reading, if not, it's okay. No one's in trouble. We're trying to make this very easy. We're only trying to get through half speed. It's a one-year Bible reading. We're going to get it done in two years. I've done this two or three times before. I know what happens. Congregations run out of gas, and then they start telling me, I can't stay up on it. So I go, okay, let's go at half speed, all right? And if you're ahead, good for you, right? I'm at 19%, just so you know, on my Kindle. But I wanted to mention... Wait, wait. I'm at 19 now. (laughs) Vengeance is mine. I will... Yeah, what kind of... All right, let me give you the human version. Paybacks are a bummer. That was pretty funny to you. Anyway, um, so I was thinking about uh, what's, what's, been, uh, what's happening in the first five, six, seven pages, right? Creation, fundamental truth. And uh, we go, can I, just, can I just park on that for a second, you know? Male and female, he created them in the image of God. He made man. Man is not an accident. It's not something as a result of evolutionary chaos. Man is by design, and he's made to reflect the nature somehow of God, including maleness and femaleness. It's a fundamental issue. I was just reviewing uh, in my reading with uh, some of the writing of Tim Keller, pastor at Redeemer in the city. Excellent exegete and also scholar bringing out all the data that's being ignored today as we try to push people toward believing that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It does mean, in fact, what it says. So there's that. And then you come to um, the judgment on the earth with the flood, right? Did you get that far? Whew. I saw the movie. It wasn't accurate. It wasn't accurate. Uh, those of you who hated Noah just because it was Russell Crowe, no, I, um, I actually, there were some things I liked about the movie, if I can just pause there for a second, and that is it did acknowledge the supernatural, which I thought was very interesting. It wasn't a naturalistic explanation. Creation and the growth of uh, forests and all of that was created supernaturally. A lot of the other facts were way off, especially when he had his concept of what was God trying to do completely upside down. Did you notice that after uh, the flood, God says to Noah, the person who spills human blood. Anybody remember that? 
Let his blood be spilled. Why? Because man was made in the image of God above all other creation. Human beings alone are in the image of God. Mankind is getting that confused today. Man is primary under the authority of God, and that's where we get into trouble. So see, some of these foundational truths that are revealed in the very beginning of Genesis have a long-term impact and really do set the tone for everything Jesus is trying to set in order when he eventually comes. So just a little update on where we are in, uh, in our reading. If you get your Bible this week, catch up and have fun. This week, starting today, we start our small groups. All right, so this is a good step. If you want to dig into the Bible and you want to grow and be maybe challenged as well as encouraged, uh, no better place to do it in the context of a small group where people can speak into each other's lives. So I'm going to ask those who are small group leaders, facilitators, whatever, and Kathy, you've helped an awful lot with this. Do you mind coming up? I'd like you all to come up so we can pray for you and commend you to the grace of God and not only today, but in the weeks and months ahead, right? There's got to be a place for discipling to take place. For those of you who are new here, there are two um, categories of small groups for start. Look at all these fine people. Yeah. Okay, that's enough. Um, Wow, look at all these folks. This is awesome. We have two major groups, if you're not aware. One is marriage groups. You people raise your hands, all right? So planning to get married, married, long-term married, crotchety married, happy married. There's. He raised his hand. Did you see that? We need a lot of prayer in this room. Um, Wherever you are, there's always something to learn, right? Always something to benefit and improve and help us. So marriage groups got three, two, two, two? Two. (laughs) three, sir, two, sir. I can't remember. And uh, then discipleship groups that are going to, you people, raise your hands. So we're starting in the 2-7 series. We also have, we have a new believers group and anyone else that wants to grow, 2-7s. 2-7 was uh, created by the Navigators years ago. I've used it in the past. It's just a basic walk-through discipleship. Make sure you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. It's very simple. Okay, so let's commend these brethren to the grace of God. Brothers and sisters here. You're really a fine group. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we have been in your presence this morning rejoicing in who you are and your love for us and your grace toward us. It's more than just you know, a good feeling and a good time. It's something that is due you, that we give you the honor and the glory that belongs to you because you made all things. And all things have been made ultimately for your pleasure and your glory. And in the process of glorifying you, we inherit benefits. So help us inherit benefits by becoming true worshipers, worshiping, as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. And it's in the truth that we want to get saturated, and that's why we have these groups. And we're asking for your favor on every leader, co-leader, helper, uh, coordinator, Lord, that we would encourage brothers and sisters and people who are not yet brothers and sisters to get a hold of your truth and see your power effectually working in our lives. Lord, we, we really need your touch And so through these groups, God, we're asking for discipleship, for growth, for faith to be increased. And Lord, one of my concerns, I've prayed with my brethren, I'm praying again right now. We don't want to just do religious duty. Oh, I went to Bible studies. I did my good deed. I can check that off. Lord, the gospel is good news because it's transformational. I'm asking that as people come, Lord, there would be a sense of anticipation that your spirit would even hijack some of those meetings and produce transformation. I like the language of C.S. Lewis, that we would be surprised by joy. 
We need to be changed into the image of your son. I'm still in process. My brethren are still in process. We need help by your grace. So help them as they lead. Help the hearers and the participants as they participate to grow and to hear from your spirit. We'll thank you for every good blessing coming down on these groups. We thank you in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great time today. Thank you. Let's thank them again. Thank you. So they just got appointed as elders and deacons and didn't know it. <laughs> just kidding. So last week, um, after my message, and I was talking about uh, the principle of building this household of God, I had a sister come up and share and, and with a legitimate concern of being completely run out of gas. Too many activities in our lives, too much stuff going on, right? Anybody ever feel that way? Sometimes it's self-imposed. Sometimes it's out of our hands. It's imposed upon us, and then we have to start making really hard choices. So let me just mention something quickly. I've said it before, and um, even though I've said things before, I know that the first two years, you were all still in shock learning me, and I was still in shock. And so maybe we didn't hear each other. But I have said before, it's not God's will for any one saint to do everything. Let me repeat that, <laughs> just in case you missed what I said. It's not God's will for any one saint to do everything. Can't be done. God has given us gifts, amen? If he's given us a gift, that's a little hint into his will for your life specifically. Does that make sense? I know I have a gift in teaching. That's a hint. <laughs> I know, I'm just a little worried. Maybe I don't have that gift. I, people are like, really? You think it's too? Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So I know that that's where I need to put my energy. You find out what your gift is, that's where to put your energy. It's not God's will for you to try to do everything. I get weary of Christians killing themselves unnecessarily. It shouldn't be that way. On the other hand... If I never do anything, there's something wrong there. Find something to put your hand to. Trust God, if it's not the right thing first, that he'll eventually guide you to the right thing. And then do that. You know, there's a proverb that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I know a great story about that, but I'm going to stay on task. <laughs> it, was not, it was not a good thing to model. <clears throat> Something, some, anyway, I said I was going to stay on task. So, I've said before, people come to churches. I used to have people come into my church. I knew that they were battered, beat up. They had been chewed up by some other church and spat out. And I would say, have a seat, sit here, heal, take in the word, start to grow, you know, get well. But if you're still getting well 12 years from now, you might need a counseling session and you need to get on task because, brothers and sisters, we are going to leave this life. This isn't the ultimate end of the world. We're going to go see Jesus, and he's going to ask us what we have done with what he gave us. All right? So I, want, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm trying. I'm not real cocky about this. I'm hoping to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. None of us should be cocky about it. The greatest saints that ever lived weren't cocky about it. And so I want to hear that, definitely. So one last thing on, um, on the state of, of the church. I wanted to read this. I, I referenced it last week just very briefly, but seven key reasons people choose a church. We were praying in the back uh, with the worship team before we came out, and one of the brothers said, you know, I'm thankful that uh, our pastor is interested in our church growing. Why? 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 Exactly. Church has a goal, right? Bring unsaved people into the family of God and develop the saved people into saints. And then it repeats. Healthy things grow. 
So we want to see that happen. That's all. It's not because I want to be on some kind of statistical form that says we've succeeded. Wow. It's because that's the job of the church. So why do people choose a church? Seven key reasons. Want to hear them? You're going to think I'm grandstanding here. I'm not. I promise. No, I promise. Number one, quality of sermons. 83% of the people who come to churches are coming because of the primacy of the pulpit. It's the number one factor for those looking for a church home. So, and these results are similar to his research. This is a Rainer. You know, he's the authority, Rainer, Tom Rainer. And he says these are um, from his studies and surprising insights, even from the unchurched, that that's what they're looking for. Are they hearing truth? Two, this is important. That was 83%. Now we go, we're going to work our way down, but these are the seven key reasons people come to a church. So think about how can we leverage those reasons. Second, feeling welcomed by leaders. 79% of the people who come to a church say they feel welcomed by the leaders. That's why they're here. Where are all the leaders? Yeah, it's me. Thank you. Oh, Me and Tim. Tim, where are you? So, yes, thank you so much. No, okay, so you're a leader. You're a chairman of a board. You're a leader. You're a small group leader. We just saw some of them. Some of you standing up here in the front. Can I just say something? You're commissioned. It's not just coming in here to get what you need. You need to be thinking about who's out there. Okay, so feeling welcomed by leaders. Style of services goes down to 74%. Most people in the whole universe, says right here, love Baptocostal services. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> you could, you, he doesn't have time to unpack it, so I'll just leave it like that. Three out of four church seekers say worship style is a factor in the church they choose. Location, can't do much about that. 70%. And by the way, his point is location is becoming more important than it used to be. We went through a phase, right? Way back, church on every corner, that was the local community church. You walked to it. Then the automobile happened, and now people will drive 12 miles past five churches to get to the one they want to be at. But that's going back now. It's a rewinding. Probably because of economic crisis, it's being pulled back. So something for the future to think in mind. Number five, education for our kids, 56%. This number is incredibly high, especially since many families don't even have kids at home, but obviously those who do have children at home consider it vitally important. By the way, I mentioned staffing down the road, and some of us have been talking about it. I've said on more than one occasion the first staff member I would bring to the church after the pastor would be a children's minister. Number six, having friends Family in the congregation, 48%. Relational connections, duh. Seven, last one. Availability of volunteering opportunities. As many as 42% said, I want to do something. Can I say something? Some of us who have been hogging ministries, you need to let it go. Hand it off to somebody else who wants to jump in. He said, preach it, so I just did. (laughs) So, something to tuck away, right? Seven reasons. How can we leverage those? So, we're working on our ethos, and today I remembered. I'm still drinking my ethos water. Let me take a swig. Mm -hmm. I feel the church getting better right there. It's just right in my DNA. Okay. All right, enough of that. I'm going to start our message today, which is called, I think I have a little clicker here somewhere. Is it up? There it is. The gospel of good success. I've gotten tired preaching the regular gospel. No, 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 no. See how you are. Turn in your Bible from the pew or your own Bible to Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, 
in this book that's in the chair in front of you if you want to cheat, 217, page 217 is where you will find this passage. 217, Deuteronomy 30. Some of you who have read the New Testament, you may recognize the language of this portion because Paul in the book of Romans actually quotes this almost verbatim. Okay? Chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, well, who's going to go up to heaven for us to get it and make us, make it, make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, well, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. Especially for New Testament believers, right? See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, and that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. The word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Amen. All right. The gospel of good success. As is my habit, I stole the title. It's based on this book called, guess what? The Gospel of Good Success by a brother named Kirby John H. Caldwell, who I had the privilege of hearing at one of the Chicago Leadership Summits. Now, by the way, somebody may read this and say, oh, I think he's a little bit name it and claim it. I want to go on record. I'm not. Okay? I don't think we tell God what to do. But there's something about the principles that he's instructing us that I can somehow align myself with his kingdom purposes. Did anybody ever remember a verse that Jesus said, you know, you're worrying about all the stuff you want and all the things you want to do and all of that, but if you will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things can be added unto you, right? Will be, in fact. What is according to his mind? So what I'm trying to encourage us with is that there is a principle of good success that comes with the gospel. And that's why I stole his title. And I'm actually going to read one thing from his book a little later, just because he's a fun writer, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. And if not, I, what can I do? <laughs> it's the gospel of good success. Anybody ever heard of the principle in missiology called lift? You will now. When the gospel comes into a primitive culture where, for example, cannibalism is occurring or murder is an admired quality or of another culture I remember hearing about that came into the faith where lying and cheating and deceiving your neighbor was actually a virtue. There are places like that. When the gospel starts to saturate that culture, they start obeying the Bible. And those things start to change. And believe it or not, not committing murder makes culture better. Not stealing makes culture better. Not lying makes living together happier. Is anything I'm making making sense at all? That's the principle of lift. So cultures who have been saturated by the gospel and start to get the principles into their laws at least their social fabric, there is a thing called lift. Their health improves. Their economics improve. Their social order improves. Their family lives improve. Am I making sense? That's lift. I have a strange suspicion that even the church in America has lost track of God's principles because we're not seeing a lot of lift. I am preaching it. Thank you. Amen. And I like it when you talk to me. That's good. I was watching a pastor on TV the other night. My wife and I got a little blessing listening to him. He was all riled up. And he was saying, yeah, you know, if you don't talk to me, (laughs) and I've said that before, it encourages pastors to know that someone's engaged. 
that were in agreement. So let me look at the gospel of good success for a few minutes, if we can. The first passage we saw is the gospel of blessing. And I want you to understand the gospel, the good news about God is that his intention is to bless, not to curse. He wants to bring us into blessing. Right? That's what faith is about, walking by faith, that I can come under his blessing. So if you're a note taker, you have a bulletin, you got little fill-ins. There it says, the gospel of blessing. God wants to bless us. Now, we don't always get blessings the way we want. So let's just say that straight up. Hardships can end up being phenomenal blessings. I came out of a broken home. My five-year-old life remembered seeing my father pinning my mother to the floor, bashing her head on the floor. That was not a blessing. But God has used that in my life to bring healing and through me healing to other people. Why? It became a blessing. Not everything in the world is wonderful. You notice that. But I want to come under his blessing. He took What's the expression? He turns our ashes. uh, How's that go? Yeah, Yeah, there's something like that. Takes bad stuff and turns it good. That's the easiest way to put it. And he does that. So, gospel of blessing. Here's Here's what God says. And I think it's still true today. We say, oh, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament, my brothers and sisters, is the word of God. Here's what it says. See, I've set before you today what? Life and prosperity, death, and adversity. L'chaim. Never heard that? L'chaim, to life. That's the word. I'm setting before you l'chaim, life in its fullness, blessing, and tov. Hebrew word for good. Boker tov. Good morning. Tov, good in all of its senses, benefits, goodness, Happiness, prosperity. I'm putting before you life and prosperity. I'm trying to bless you. If you were to read that passage further than I read it this morning, he says, now if you make up your mind to stick your tongue out at me and go in the other direction, guess what happens? This is math, brothers and sisters. It's mathematics. Are you with me? Two minus one is one. So if I go in the opposite direction, death begins to work. Instead of life... Death, instead of prosperity or blessing or goodness, badness starts to work. It's mathematical, if you will. Now, by the way, some people are already jumping ahead and saying, he's teaching legalism this morning. No, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Just need to be clear about what God is saying. I have set before you life and prosperity. His intention is to bless. One of the places Christians get messed up all the time is we don't understand the difference between these two things, law and grace. We think law is bad and grace is good, but there can't be grace if the law is bad because the law is good. I want us to make sure we understand this. Here's, here's one of the verses. I love this verse, by the way. John 1.17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. When you read that on the surface, it almost looks like it's saying the law then in the Old Testament was a lie. That's not what it's saying. The word for truth there is the word for reality or the substance. In other words, the law was given through Moses. That was good truth, but grace, the forgiveness that we need, the mercy we need because we were going to blow it, and God knew that. By the way, anybody figured that part out yet? The mercy we need came through Jesus Christ and also the reality of what the Old Testament was talking about came in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I park there for one minute? Okay. Old Testament. All the time. Every morning. Sacrificial animals. Blood. all over. I mean, graphic, vivid every single day. By the way, that goes back to the PETA argument. Uh, anyway, blood, picture of death. Why? The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. All of those pictures, every day that the Jews worship, is pointing to what? The reality, grace and truth. 
the fulfillment, the, the ultimate sacrificial lamb was coming. It was all pointing toward him. There's a lot more we could flesh out, but that gives you the general idea. So grace and truth, right? They're not opposite the law, but they are in a way because they rescue us from the consequences of having violated God's perfect, righteous standard. Law and grace. Let's take a look at it a little more carefully so we can maybe get our our mind, hands around it better. Great text in the book of Romans says this. There is therefore now, isn't this good news? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't answer for you today whether you're in Christ Jesus or not. You have to answer that. You have to make up your mind whether you've genuinely trusted him or you just kind of give him a nod. I think he's cool. Jesus is just all right with me. You know. Or whether he is actually, no, no, no dancing right now, okay. Is he actually, are you in Christ Jesus? By the way, uh, Mike, where are you? Mike, hey, brother. It's one of my, one of my uh, learning disciples here. Prayed this morning about the Spirit indwelling us. The Spirit does indwell us all the time, right? Don't have to ask for that. We do need to ask for the control of the Spirit. If you've experienced that, then you know you're in Christ Jesus. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. It's very clear. Anyway, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Yay! The Spirit of life law sets me free from the condemnation of sin and the consequences called death. Remember, death is not just, here I am, That's the ultimate manifestation of death. Death is everything moving in the opposite direction from God's life. Your marriage decaying is death at work. The ecology being destroyed by man's foolishness is death at work. Cultures fighting, murdering one another is death at work. Or damaging, stealing from me. I was looking at anybody paying attention that this week we have a new president and all of that. And there are some people out there that aren't real happy about that. You may have noticed. But I start taking matters into my own hands and smashing out windows and setting limousines on fire and everything else. That's death at work. You understand? Doesn't matter what your... Was not a wonderful transition of power. But anyway, there we go. There is some clear teaching about how we should respond. For what the law could not do. Now, this is what you have to get. What the law could not do. Weak as it was. Notice, I think I even have the little dealy there. See? Through, underlined. Weak as it was. The law was weak. Not because it's not righteous. Not because it's not the holy, upright teaching of God. The reason the law fails, why? Because we're broken, screwed up sinners. That's why. Weak as it... I didn't want to do that. We... I know. (laughs) Thank you. Weak as it was through what? The flesh. Through us. We're the problem. When you get into Paul's dialogue about himself, you know, the things I want to do, I won't do. He's not saying tough. The law stinks. That's not what he's saying. He's saying I stink. I'm the problem. God took care of this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He put it to death, and here's the rest of it. In order that the requirement, notice what I have underlined. The requirement, I'll come back to that. Of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now. In an absolute sense, I am forgiven, purged. I I don't have to worry about trying to earn my way into heaven. Some people have a wrong concept of the gospel. They think God forgives you when you accept Christ. He's like giving you a clean slate. Now you better live perfectly till the day you die or you're dead. That's not a gospel. That's a nightmare. Amen. But we also have people... 
we're going to get to where our problem often is. But here's what I want you to see. So he is taking care of the fulfilling of the law so that I don't have to worry about the, all the places I'm going to drop the ball because I am going to drop the ball. But that doesn't mean I want to purposely go out and drop the ball. In fact, this word, the requirement, is a very interesting word. It's the word diakaioma, righteousness. You remember when um, the first passage we saw in Deuteronomy, these commandments, the word often used for righteousness or for a commandment is, if you, if you have Hebrew background, you know the word mitzvot. Uh, the Jewish law is filled with uh, 613 mitzvot, acts of righteousness. That's what it means, acts of righteousness. Plug that into this verse. In order that the acts of righteousness that were revealed in the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Our flesh is what gets us in trouble. The law of God has revealed his righteousness. There's two ways that the law gets confused. There is ceremonial law, which was specific for the children of Israel, but there is also moral absolutes, God's eternal principles that are revealed in the scripture. And it's not that hard to figure out which ones are which. It really isn't. We act like it is, but it isn't. Some of the most fundamental are revealed where? The Ten Commandments. Ever hear of them? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Words. These are not arbitrary nonsense. People think, oh, God just made a bunch of rules. Jump over this hoop, jump over this hoop. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like, it was just a trick, you know. Just jump over the hoop. No, it has something to do with the very nature of God. We sometimes think it's just kind of up for grabs and arbitrary. We think maybe this happened. I don't know if you ever saw this. Maybe this happened. (laughs) Who's laughing? (laughs) Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. <laughs> ten! Ten commandments! <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we had an accident, so we just changed the rules, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm not recommending any movies, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's how we kind of treat it sometimes, right? Oh, it's just kind of arbitrary. No. Do you realize that the rules of the scripture, the Ten Commandments, are reflecting something necessary that's built into our DNA? We were made for life, and the words of God are life. And so when we're aligned with his words, we're breathing in life. The gospel of good success, if you will. Okay? We're wired for this. That's where reality lies. Mitzvotes, acts of righteousness, righteous deeds. Now that I'm clean, I can serve God in the spirit and do the deeds of righteousness that he had in mind. You want a quick survey of the entire law? The rabbis did this and Jesus confirmed it. There's two great commandments. What are they? Sounds like a Hebrew prayer service. This is great. Shalom. All right. Yes, you're exactly right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's where you get in trouble, though. Oh, I want to do goodness to this person. And they really, really need to get stoned right now. So I'm going to love them. Do you see where we get in trouble? Which is why we need... What's that? There's no... Yeah, this, uh, works of righteousness. Yesterday I had a precious guy come to my door from a certain group that canvasses our area intensely. Our Jehovah Witness friends. And he came to my door and he said... I would like to just share this information about the kingdom. And I was on my way to go teach karate. So I said, this isn't a good time, buddy. No, I didn't do that. I said, actually, I am in a hurry. But you know what? If you come back, come back next week. 
in the afternoon, because I'm here in the afternoon, I'd be glad to talk with you. Oh, he'll be back. <laughs> and I've, I've done this before. No, 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 no. You know, I know how this goes. First, it's they bring somebody smarter. Let me, I have to bring somebody with better training. They bring them back. Then they bring the elders. Then they bring the apologetic hitman. And by the time I spend, this has happened. By the time I spend three hours, I finally say, it's time to do some math here. There isn't anybody that's going to have a better answer because this is not the truth. This is the truth. The good news that Jesus loves you and died for your sins and you can have life eternal. Why is he at my door? Because they think they have to run like crazy and do millions of mitzvot, deeds of righteousness, and hope. Hope. They get into the earthly kingdom, not heaven. That's out. That's closed. 144,000, all booked up. The hotel's full. I'm not here to diss anyone. Not at all. I have compassion on this brother, uh, friend. My point is, I don't have to kill myself. Isn't that good news? However, some of us have gone on vacation for the rest of our lives. Can I just be blunt? I'm a pastor, all right? Of course I'm going to be blunt. I always are. Am, am I? Am I? I'm, more, I'm more blunt now, am I not? I always are? I always I always shouldn't teach English. Anyway, you know, there are disciples. When you meet them, it's like there's this energy that comes right out of their pores, Right? By the way, I forgot. I was going to say praise the Lord for the kickoff on the, on the pantry, right? And uh, these people are all excited. What's gotten into you anyway? It's like maybe the gospel of good success. They're all riled up. There's something about disciples who are hungry to do the will of God. You just, it just bleeds out of them. Anybody follow what I'm saying? I'm, I'm in pastoral ministry 40 or going on 45 years I have found large sections of people who are church folks, because I have to put it that way, because I don't know always where we're at, whether we're in Christ or not, and if we are, whether we're what the Bible calls carnal or spiritual. I find that people fall into two categories. Lots of them fall into two extremes. One side are the disciples who hear me preaching this morning and are like, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. I'm not doing good enough. What are you laughing at? And you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I, I, I just don't know if I can please God well enough. You know what? People who are concerned about that because they really want to please God and they're always feeling beat up, you're getting beat up. Tell them to leave you alone. You're on the right track. The fact that you're worried about it. Then there's people on the other side. It's like only a two-by-four, I think, is going to get the lights to come on because it's like never applies to them. It's not about them. They think they're doing just fine. We're not. So what I'm trying to communicate today is the gospel is a gospel of blessing, of good success. I find that there are Christians sometimes that they, they get some kind of a charge out of getting as close to sin as they possibly can. Anybody know what I mean? Ooh, that's, ooh it's kind of cool to be a little bit rebellious and like edgy. And let me get right over next to it. And you think you're not going to get your tushy burned, huh? But we always end up getting burned somewhere. That's why we're not experiencing the gospel of good success in our life. I have to have a heart to want to please him. So let's look at the gospel of obedience. That's the last point I want to make. It's a gospel of obedience. Oh, you mean I have to work my way to be saved? No, that's the whole point. He's given you a gift. But with that gift comes principles of life and death, prosperity or hardship. The Old Testament God is the same one as the New Testament God. The principles are still the same. When we read, and we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments, which will take more than ten weeks, I can promise you that. Those principles are in place for our blessing and our benefit. With that in mind, I want you to see the verse that Caldwell builds his book on. It's this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Anybody recognize this? 
Memory verse, great memory verse. Joshua 1.8. What does it mean, it shall not depart, should never talk about the Bible? No, what he's saying is just, I, I can't assume anything. What he's saying is you're constantly keeping the book of the law in your mind. You're constantly talking about it. It's part of your life. It shall not disappear and be forgotten. That's what he's saying. Shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do whatever you want. And, oh no, wait a minute. I read that wrong. So you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way what? Prosperous. And then you will have... Whoa, I didn't make it up. In fact, you want to know something fun about those two words? Prosperous and success. This is why I asked for the song, Mike. The word prosperous is thrive. You'll thrive. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. I don't want anybody to misunderstand and think, oh, everything's going to be peachy keen and easy from this day forward. That's not what I'm saying. But I can be assured if God is for me, who can be against me, that I can move, step ahead, 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 and see that principle of gospel lift impact my life somewhere. Prosperous and you will have success, meaning you will do wisely. That's another way to translate that, success. You will do wisely. You will thrive and you will act wisely. There are better things ahead. But we don't often do wisely because we ignore his principles. And I'm talking about we who really should know better. We wonder why things go south. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago. People have had difficulty in their life and we don't understand. And I'm going, some of this isn't too hard to figure out. We're doing wrong things. God has an opinion about it. So, let me read something just for the fun of it. This is in a chapter in his book about... Um, he's actually talking about demons. See how quiet it just got? But what he's getting at is where the enemy is lying to us, telling us to do the wrong things, okay? So, he's got a little bit of humor and... Um, and his congregation, I know, is in a, an inner-city context, large amount of African-American brethren, and so it would be fun to hear this preached. It really would be fun. Listen to this. Consider a few examples. When you make 30000 a year and spend thirty-five, that's a demon influencing you. When you're wasting time and money trying to impress other folks with the clothes you're wearing, the car you're driving, the house you're living in, all the while your credit cards are overextended and the bill collectors are at your door, that's a demon or several at work. When you can't go to bed without a drink or a pill, that's a demon stoking the fires of addiction. When you're supposed to be in a class, in church, in a support group, at work, at home, or on a job interview, and you've decided not to show up for some lame excuse, a demon has invaded your decision-making process. When you go to work or church or out at night dressed as if you're going to a sex session or a pimp's palace or a freak fellowship, that's a demon, that's a demon acting as your wardrobe designer. When, I mean, he doesn't mess around. I mean, we're not sitting around trying to judge anybody's clothes or whatever. What I'm getting at is what's inside, what's going on in here. When you and your spouse and you or your mama and your daddy and you and your sister, brother or friend start screaming at each other and cannot find an avenue of communication, you got a demon dancing around your living room. When you and your coworkers are caught in a web of incessant miscommunication and accusation, you got a demon under your desk. When you're making love with your spouse and thinking about somebody else, that's a demon controlling the circuits of your imagination. I wonder how many people in this room have bought the baloney that that's okay. What a crock. No wonder we're not experiencing the gospel of good success. 
When you're lying across the couch watching TV at 10 p.m. with a bucket of fried chicken in one hand and a washed up of high-fat ice cream in the other, and your doctor has already told you to cut out fat, hello, 26-year-old grandmothers, 13-year-old crack addicts, 14-year-old homicide suspects, 40-year-old soap opera addicts, 50-year-old layabouts, oh, goodness gracious, the devil and his armies of demons don't care about your name, age, or address. They only want to kick your backside. Now, when I talk about demons in my sermons, I can see the signs of denial in dozens of faces. I'm not influenced by some. Let me say this as clearly as I can. If you're alive and breathing, evil spirits are going to mess with you. I know that sounds insane, right? Couldn't be more true. More true. I told you he was fun, wasn't he? Get me all riled up. But let me just say something. If something rang a bell, do you want the gospel of good success or are you just going to do this? Where does God hang out? Maybe it's time for you to reset your compass, you know, get back on the right track. I can't answer it for you, but I am going to say this. I don't give a lot of uh, invitations, but I'm giving one today. If you need to reset your compass, you know you're not in a place of submission. I want to do what God says. I want his blessing. I want his gospel of success. Then come up and reset the the compass. Come up and pray. Get it right with God and start on the right path. Let me show you a great passage out of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where are you going to build a house for me? There's nothing big enough for me. I'm the biggest God there is. I am the only God. And where is a place that I may rest? Where do I hang out? Where does God hang out? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Here's what he says. But to this one, to this one I will look. This is where I'll hang out, to him who is humble, contrite of spirit. And what is the last line? Oh, my. I believe that that quality trembling at the word of God. Sometimes I read the word of God and I break down weeping. Who trembles at my word is largely missing in the DNA of the American church. But those who do, he'll hang out with you. Isn't that cool? Let's stand together as we close. I want you to hang out with me, Lord. And I believe that there are brothers and sisters in this room that do hang out with you (laughs) and that you hang out with. And I believe, God, that there are many of us who you're hanging out with them more than they realize and and the joy's being robbed by a liar. And I believe there are others were kind of like Samson after his head was sheared. He didn't even know the spirit had left him. So far gone, he doesn't even know that God has walked away. Help us to make the right decision, not to grandstand, not to worry about what anybody else thinks, but to get right with the living God. So help people to have the courage to do what they need to do today. As we go our way or as we stay and pray, I ask that my people would be quiet as they exit. Let the Spirit move on people who need to reset their compass and tremble at the Word of God. Help us, we pray, in the great name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. You are dismissed. I'm going to ask if you visit, do so toward the back or out in the foyer. If people need to come and pray, this is the place to do it.